beautiful day spring. Thank you for being light in our darkness. And I pray, Lord, right now that as Gordy speaks to us out of his vulnerability, out of the things that you have laid on his heart, that we would have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying this morning and that our eyes would be opened to the light that you want to bring, that Rose has talked about and that you are. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I was just checking my iPhone for the score. No, no, I was turning on my mic. So Cowrie, where's Cowrie? So Cowrie's back there. She's been coming to our church since springtime. And she's had a real springtime of her life. Jesus has come into her life. Brand new baby Christian. <clears throat> Growing in leaps and bounds. What are they feeding you? And she came to our first Vineyard 101 back in, or she came to our Vineyard 101 back in June. She's going going off to DTS in January. So I want to pray for you before the service. So if I've forgotten, Kauri, you do that Japanese wave, okay, at me, and remind me, because we want to pray for you. Uh, she's got just a couple more Sundays, and is your letter at the back? Got some letters? No? Okay, so she's around for a few weeks, and it is on the MailChimp. We did put it on the MailChimp and maybe our church Facebook, so you can all be filled in on her story. It's a beautiful story, what God's doing in her life, and just what an honor to be able to, to bless her and send her. Am I, is there something singing? Can I do something, Dean? Or? <laughs> I knew that. I knew that answer. I knew that was coming. Okay. Um. I just so appreciate Dean. I appreciate Mark. These guys, Mark just was heroic yesterday getting the, the, the funeral sound ready. And these guys are so faithful week after week. So can we give them a good hand? It's amazing. And I'm also going to have Sandra share in a bit. Um, have you been reading that devotional, that Advent reading thing? My goodness sakes. Oh, it's so rich. So there are more copies, I believe, at the back. So it, it, it's not a sin to start late, right? They could pick one up and start, right? So you can get some more. There's a lot of mercy and grace coming through those uh, devotionals. So you'll, you'll got to pick one up if you didn't. I've been handing them out to friends. And, oh, yeah. I, and, I, and then I go, yeah, I know Sandra. She's, she's my friend. So. All right. <clears throat> Anybody know who this is? Statue of who? Okay, let me give you a clue. It's in Kamloops. Of all places. <laughs> this is Flying Phil. So Phil, Karen and I both know this because we're Recovering Pentecostals, is that the right word? <laughs> Sorry. 
<laughs> um, no, he's, he's a Pentecostal pastor, but he was also the BC uh, uh, high, highways minister in, as an MLA. He was in the cabinet for many years as the fly, as the, the uh, they called him Flying Phil. Do you know why? That's right. Rick knows. <laughs> he got more speeding tickets than you can imagine. And this guy just was so frustrated with the road system in BC that he got a vision. And the vision was, is that you're going to be able to travel on any road in BC at least 100 Ks, right? That was seriously his visit, vision. And I remember as a young kid in Alberta, we would drive into BC. I remember crossing over at the Crow's Nest and different places. And, and I went, man, this province is beautiful, but the roads suck. And we'd have to slow down and, you know, but, but you can enjoy the scenery. Well, Phil didn't have a lot of patience for that. So he had a vision that he, and I think the Coquihalla came out of that somehow. Uh, I mean, it used to take four or five hours longer to go from Calgary to Vancouver until the Coquihalla. And flying Phil, his vision, and, he, and, and as a minister, this is funny, listen to this. As a minister of the church and the crown, right? Minister of the church and the crown, he noted that he saw it was his duty to keep the highways in such shape that motorists will avoid the language which would deny them access to the highway to heaven. <laughs> I love that. Well, <clears throat> I mention him because in ancient times, this highway building, this kind of preparation of roads, was done in preparation for the coming of a king. They would actually put construction crews out in fact, they say that the emperor Vespasian, I hope I'm saying that right, he had an army and he would actually send out a vanguard of pioneers and construction workers to make roads even and straight everywhere. And so this imagery of preparing for a monarch by fixing the roads was very, a very biblical scripture. In fact, a scriptural image. And... There's this kind of dual thing, and I think this is where our little discussion will come, Sandra, but there's this dual thing going on with the road, is that on one hand, it's for God, the king, to come to us, but in scripture, there's also this highway in the desert, this image of us coming home. It's for the exiles, or the exodus. In fact, there's this Talmudic uh, legend in Jewish uh, uh, lore, that this special pioneering work in the desert was done by the pillar of cloud, or the, or the, the cloud of fire. What, what is it? <laughs> I, I'm on drugs today. Uh, <clears throat> pillar of cloud and fire. That, that, remember that fire and that cloud that went before them in the desert? They, there was this legend that God himself, God would lower the mountains and raise the fill the valleys. So they would come. So this imagery is very common. Now remember, Advent means coming. And as we're, as we're wrestling with the implications of Advent, we're a generation that doesn't know how to wait. We start selling Christmas stuff right after Halloween. And Advent says, no, hold your horses. Let's wait. We need to prepare. And so it's a season of, of waiting. It's a season of... Uh, expectation. It's a season of preparation. As we reflect on how the king came the first time, 
We reflect that we're in between times of his second coming. He's coming again and will, will reign and rule as king of kings and lord of lords. And all, all people will see him, see his salvation. And he's coming to us daily. And that's probably the most significant. If we can, I have this theory, I think it's pretty true. If we can work on the part of him coming to us daily, we won't need to worry about the second coming. It's more about recognizing him in the ordinary, in the day-to-day. So we need to learn some lessons from the first coming because they really missed him, didn't they? A lot of people missed him. And so in our text that Gordy Gordy, Gordy 1 read a little earlier, it says, gives all these historical details. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, and Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod the Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, and we're all going, yada, 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 yada. What's all this about? Verse 2, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John. So Luke's point is, folks, this isn't some mythical, otherworldly story here we're talking about. It's grounded in history. That's how C.S. Lewis, who was an agnostic or an atheist, C.S. Lewis was a total un, you know, uh, intellectual skeptic and, and unbeliever. But what, what grabbed his heart was he said, uh, every religion has a myth of a dying and a rising God. And, and he was right. Every, there, there's these myths in all the religions. He said, so what's so special about Christian, Christianity? And all of a sudden, one day, the penny dropped. And he went, wait a minute. This actually happened in history. This is a real story. There was a real Jesus. And he realized that Christianity wasn't antithetical to every other religion. It was the fulfillment. He, he began to see all the other religions as kind of an Old Testament for all the peoples of the earth that God was working with within them like he did with First Nations people, preparing them for the coming of, of Christ. And that's important because as mission, Christian missions, we've often missed that and made some bad mistakes. So then it says, he went into all the country. John, this is talking about John the Baptist, right? He went into all the country around Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins as it is written in the book of the words of the Isaiah the prophet. Now that word repentance, don't zone out on me. Some of you that have been around Christianese all your life, you're going to go, oh yeah, I repentance, yeah, I know, be sorry for your sins. And there's so much more to that word. It means to begin again, to think again, to, to have a beginner's mind, to actually throw out everything you know and to say, I don't know. And it was because they weren't willing to do that. They missed the Messiah. There was something about changing, be, having a childlike beginner's mind and being open to what God was doing in that time and, and being willing to to hold lightly what they thought was they were so certain about. And um, Luke is writing in a narrative style here, so I want to say that I love the fact that he, 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 he doesn't throw out everything of their history. There's their story. He, he aligns this narrative in the story. Uh, I love, Sandra, one of the points you made this week or last week where, well, it couldn't have been last week, but somewhere this week, where uh, you talked about God comes to us and from us. And there's this, this 
this aspect of Advent where God comes to us and then God comes from us. So these, these dual directions are happening again. And, uh, and that the story was happening before we arrived. And we sang it this morning. Before I took a breath, you were singing over me. What does that do to you? That God was crazy in love with you before you even arrived. He was singing over you. So there's this, this aspect of, of continuity. God didn't start with the Protestant Reformation. Sorry, Karen, he didn't start with the Pentecostals. He's been working. God's been working. I was so moved by the way the story. Richard Rohr writes this story about his ordination. You'll like this one. He was writing about his ordination. You know where he got ordained? You know? Topeka, Kansas. Woo! And so he's writing about this. Now, what's so special about Topeka, Kansas? Well, if you're a Pentecostal, and he writes this in his book, it's the first place in North America of known where somebody spoke in tongues. This was in 1900. And he writes about it in his book, and he acknowledges it, and he names it. And he says, he says, that's why I'm a Catholic, and I'm a Protestant, and I'm a Pentecostal. But Topeka, Kansas is where the first known people spoke in tongues in North America. I think people spoke in tongues through history. But it's, where, it's the first documented place. And a guy, a black preacher named William Seymour, got touched by God there. And he didn't speak in tongues yet, but he moved to Azusa Street in Los Angeles. Anybody ever heard of Azusa Street? Yeah. Well, that came out of Topeka. But it was so meaningful to me because here's this Catholic who basically stretched their origins back to the days of the apostles. And he's now naming the workings of God, the fresh things that God is doing. He's not close to the fact, well, we're it. And sorry, you guys are. There's this recognition of fresh. And, and I think that's so important for us. That God's going to do what he did again at St. Margaret's here with the Jesus people in the 1970s. But it's not going to look the same. But it's still going to be that fresh, radical inclusion and in-gathering. This city is just so ripe and hungry and open. I just feel it when we go out and we sing and we pass out flyers. and It's just so different. It's just changed so much in the last 20 years. So there's this tension then of staying in our story and being faithful to our roots, and yet God always stretching the the limits, and, and think about it, is that Luke is writing, and Luke is, they think he was probably maybe the only non-Jewish author in the whole Bible. This guy was possibly a Gentile doctor. And here's this Gentile, this guy that was excluded. He gets to be in, not only in the story, but he gets to tell the story. And his message was, that everybody matters to God. Everybody. And he loved, you know, the, center, the first sermon I ever preached here in this church was from Luke 15 about the shepherd and the sheep. And I'm preaching away and I turn around and I went, whoa, who needs PowerPoint? Look at that. They have original PowerPoint. <laughs> so that was Luke's message. The lost son, the lost sheep, the lost... 
How many know there's a cost to, to finding? There's a cost. Ask North Shore Search and Rescue. They don't go, oh, you stupid person, you got lost, deal with it. They go and they look and they cost, and most of them, I think, are volunteers. And they, it's just unbelievable. The amount of times they have to go looking for somebody, there's a cost. When you go to look for somebody, it's costly. That's the, the point of the prodigal son, is the father had to divide the inheritance, and then he had to divide it again when the guy came back. That's why the older brother was so pissed off. All these years I've slaved for you. Now I have to share my inheritance with him because you let him come back. Did I just swear? Sorry about that. It's been too long, you know. Once a decade, I'm allowed, right? Oh, slang. My English teacher wife to the rescue. There's grace. So there's this tension of continuity and discontinuity. You get that? There's tension of, and so Luke, Luke says, not only Jews belong to God, but Gentiles. Not just men, but women. Not just adults, but kids. Not just the rich, but the poor. And add to your list. Not just the straight. Right? Isn't, isn't that where God is? Right? There's this, 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 this constant movement of continuity, Continuity and discontinuity. So John called for a beginner's mind. And he said, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. I'm running out of time, so let me just say, how many know the desert's been a pretty significant place for us this past year? It's a place of preparation. In summary, a place is where, you, where God says, you are not a slave, you're not a thing, you're not something to be used. You're a beloved son, a beloved daughter, you're a beloved child. That's the point of the desert. And Israel, they came out of Egypt. They, they, were, they learned through, to stop, to have Sabbath, that they, there's a day where they're to be non-productive. And they were to go at a pace of unhurriedness so they could build intimacy and relationships. And then when they got into the promised land, they forgot it and they began to treat God like Pharaoh. God's a taskmaster. And they said, well, there's other younger lovers that are more attractive. We're going to go after them. So God said, then I'll allure you. He said that through Hosea the prophet. I'll allure you back into the wilderness so that you'll become, we'll become lovers again. Instead of me being a taskmaster, read that in Hosea too. It's incredible. I'm going to allure her. I'm going to allure her. Do you ever feel God tricked you? You ever? I felt that. You know, many times. Lord, you tricked me. I thought this was going to be just amazing. We're going to just... And it all falls apart. Right? It all falls apart, but in that desert, God meets us. And we fall in love again. So, if our view of God is wrong, <clears throat> we don't recognize God. If we view God as a taskmaster, which is what the Pharisees did, the religious leaders, they didn't their view of God had become distorted. So when God came as the vulnerable Jesus, loving, compassionate, they didn't recognize him. So he said, prepare the way of the Lord. There's this highway language. And, and keep in mind the dual, the dual aspect of God coming to us on a highway and yet a highway for us to come out of exile 
from slavery into being children of God, God's beloved. So the other thing is keep in mind this, who's doing the preparing? Who's doing the preparing? Every mountain shall be, every valley shall be filled and every mountain shall be made low. The crooked road shall become straight. The rough place is smooth and all people will see God's salvation. Who's doing that? It's tricky, isn't it? Well, have you ever moved a mountain lately? <laughs> you ever filled in a, you know, Lynn Valley Canyon lately? It's a, it's a lot of work. So, it's primary God. God's saying, I'll do this. I'll do this. So what do we do? Well, what are those valleys and mountains? Can I say that they are metaphorical of the false self? The false self gets its identity. What are the three ways? What I own, what I've achieved, and what people think of me. So that's the mountains where we kind of, we're doing good there. Hey, I've achieved, I, you know, I'm worth this and blah, blah, blah. Or the valley is where we haven't and we're depressed and those valleys that Rose was talking about, those dark alleys, that loneliness and then the false comforts we look for are addictions to try to compensate. Well, what are those crooked places? Those crooked places are the ways that the false self tries to get those things. Deviousness and deception and lies. And what are the rough places? Well, they're potholes. They're potholes and boulders. I'd like to suggest that perhaps they're places of unbelief where we don't really believe God is as good as he's. Was it somebody said if the good, if the good news doesn't seem to be too good to be true, it's not the good news. So it's a sense of just God's incredible goodness. Good, good father. And... Uh, and I think it's, it's letting, I think Rosa's picture was very powerful because I think probably one of the most powerful meetings I've ever been to in Vancouver in all the 27 years, 28 years we've lived here now, was I was with my son in a 12-step down in the downtown east side. And I have never heard the degree of vulnerability and openness. It was unbelievable. And the presence of God was so strong. And I realized it's not about how crooked you are or how bent you are or how rough, how big boulders you are. Is can you let God be there? Can you let God be there with you in that? And that's what I loved about that. John didn't say if we, if we don't sin, we have fellowship with God. He didn't say that. He said if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another. There's something about that vulnerability that so it's so it's a it's a participation and it's a partnership it's a but it's not a partnership of working there is there is work that comes out of it but it's it's relationship it's a love relationship so come on up Sandra I'm going to share a little poem here and just reflect on that do you want me to put it up oh you got here can I put it on over here Okay. 
This was actually with today's reading, I think, right? It is. Yeah. It is with today's reading. Um, but the reading today that I've, I've just I cut a little bit out of it just because I couldn't fit it all on the page, so I'll just read the, the whole thing because the whole thing's good. Um, yeah, so I don't know. It's good to, I don't know, hear the, hear the poem like it's addressed to you. Um, so it's called, Each Soul Completes Me. My beloved said, my name is not complete without yours. I thought, how could a human's worth ever be such? And God, knowing all our thoughts, and all our thoughts are innocent steps on the path that addressed my heart. God revealed a sublime truth to the world when he sang, I am made whole by your life. Each soul, each soul completes me. share a little bit about, because I think this is related to the boulders, um, just the significance of that carol that was featured in the, in the line that, in the carol that... Tilly peered and the soul felt its worth. Yeah. All right. Um, you guys are going to get totally sick of me, but... Um, uh, so, I think... Um, I think when we look for our worth, like we see these boulders, these dips, we often will look for our worth by kind of looking in, right? And think, what talents do I have that are, you know, appealing to other people? You know, what have I done that's good? What, what inherent good thing is there in me? And I think that's when the false self kicks in because you can only get met with fear from that place. You're, it's, you're gonna sense that we fall, fall sh far short. Um, and I think, so, and I think that's the whole point of the cross, is that we are never meant to look at ourselves just bald face, just looking inside, trying to find what's worthy and good there. We are always meant to look at ourselves through the cross, which is how God looks at us. Jesus, like, the Lord looks at us through, like, the glasses of the cross. He never just sees you. He sees that your worth Savior's own life. That's how worthy we are. Our worth is equal to the Savior's worth. That's what the cross says to us. And so I felt like God say to me that um, that when I when I look at myself and we look at ourselves, we need to look at ourselves from inside God's eyes. We need to see ourselves from His gaze, and His gaze is that Hosea gaze, that luring, beautiful. He looks at us that gaze. Um, he gave me this really cool picture a while ago, um, and I, maybe I'll just share it now, where, um, of, of heaven, actually. And um, heaven had these 12 gates, and there was wide, wide roads coming to heaven. And I saw Jesus walking out on those roads. He's not sitting in heaven waiting for us to get there. 
he's actually, I saw him walking through, like Jesus walking, like almost like a crowded New York street, just so full of the world's people. And he was coming and coming and coming for each person. And, but he didn't look like Jesus all the time. And I was like, why don't you look like yourself? And he said, I had to come disguised because otherwise people would reject me straight out. So he has to come in a way that meets each person differently. And, um, yeah, and uh, so I think, yeah, I think that's the worth of our souls is just, and I, that's something you can't assess without the cross. That's, otherwise, the false self is the voice you hear. We don't hear the voices of the wilderness. You hear your false self's voice that says you're not enough. You're, people are going to see this bad thing. You're a sinner, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, and uh, yeah, and then I, I saw this other picture that I just feel like, it's been really in my mind, so I thought I'd share this other one, too. I felt like God showed me that we were like a mirror, like him and I, when we were together, the, the humanity at the beginning. We were like this mirror, and he's always like the silver painted on the back of the glass. And sort of in Eden, it's we separated from that, that painting of that silver, and it crashed, and it lay shattered in pieces. And that's what we are now. We're shattered. But we're still reflecting. Each of us is still reflecting him, but in a broken thing. And I felt like God say to me that he is going to lay down over us. He's going to come and cover, like how love covers a multitude of sin. He's going to come and lay his body out over us in our brokenness. And it's going to come back all together. And... He'll be totally affixed to us again. Yeah, so anyway. When you, when you, we've been talking a lot in the last few weeks about uh, mirroring. Mm. We've been using that language. Yeah. And of course, it's, it's a psychological term of, of uh, how a child's worth is determined by how they're mirrored by significant others early in their life. And seeing that love and that value in the eye of their parent or significant other gives them that sense of worth. And as you were sharing for the first time, I thought, wow, the cross is, is God's mirror for us of mm -hmm. our worth. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Wow. So good. So good. So I, I think, and, and maybe keeping in mind Rose's word about the... Just the alley and the shadows and the and and if if there are any other words that you have, um, feel free to share. Just in these couple of minutes we have, uh, we need to kind of transition in a few minutes. But if if the Lord has really spoken to you through some of these things, uh, just get some prayer either from somebody that you trust that you're with, or if you're not sure who to ask, feel free to come and ask me or one of us here at the front. We'd be happy to pray for you. And we're going to pray for Calvary, too, in a few minutes. So, thank you, Sandra. So rich. It's very hard for us to think about the fact that we complete God. But the more I've been looking at this, the more I believe that that is the tragedy of heaven, and, or of hell, and the beauty of heaven is that each one of us, I think, has a reflection of God that no one else does. There's something about God that's been invested in each of us. 
that if that isn't discovered and given back in love to God and others, it'll never be duplicated. And I think that's part of this, your, your complete me. Wow. So think about the gift of your life. That God made you with such incredible joy, anticipation, delight. And what God has invested of, of God's self in you. That is waiting to be discovered and cherished and delighted in and given back. Not, as Sandra said, by being overly introspective, but by looking into that mirroring gaze of God. I think it was Meister Eckhart who said, the eye by which God sees us and we see God. It's that one eye. It's one eye. Let's pray. You cover us, Lord. You're covering us. You're restoring our shattered lives, restoring the mirror. And that image that Sandra shared is quite graphic, but I think it also speaks of the body of Christ. It's part of that covering. We cover, we're part of God's agent to cover one another. Love covers a multitude of sins. When God came looking for us, he didn't say, what did you do? He didn't say, he didn't even say, who are you? He said, where are you? Where are you? And I think that this image of the highway is God still back in the garden looking, looking for us. So we come home to you, Lord. We say yes to your invitation of love. And we ask you to remove the boulders of unbelief in those potholes where we believe you're a taskmaster in your heart and, and, and other lovers or money or career or relationships can take the place of you in our hearts. So come, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. Heal us where we need that healing. Restore us. For those of us who haven't been mirrored, Jesus, that's what the body of Christ is for. That's, that's what that revelation is for that Hafiz wrote about, that revelation. So would you do that, Lord? I invite you to stand with me if you're able to and just bless you. I think it'd be nice to leave this poem up here and if you want to just linger and reflect on it, please, please do. And uh, just want to invite Cowrie up. To, we're going to pray for her. And if you need to go, uh, you're, you're, you're blessed to go. May the grace of the Lord Jesus love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. 
May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I just invite some of you to come and help pray for Calvary. Let's bless her. I believe God sent her to our church as a gift. So we want to bless her.